Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Sean O'Brien. So like, we're like dancing, we're having a good time, we're singing in this car. One of the dudes that's sitting next to me pisses his pants in the backseat. He's having such a good time. It is all over the backseat. I've never been more okay with somebody else pissing my pants. That and more. But first, folks, it's almost time for another Best of Risk episode. And you can help us put it together. You can vote for your favorite Risk stories of the past six months or so at risk-show.com slash best of risk. There'll be very brief summaries of each story so you can remember which is which as you cast your votes. Again, that's at risk-show.com slash best of risk. Also, did you know that I do one-on-one coaching with people of all walks of life for all kinds of opportunities they're creating in their lives. Many of the people I work with are focused on stories they'd like to prepare, people working on wedding toasts or boardroom presentations or anecdotes to share in upcoming podcast interviews, people working on personal essays or solo shows or stories to share when networking then other folks come for life coaching and my guided meditations just to have a compassionate, creative, thoughtful soul to be sharing with about life transitions or new creative plans or explorations around alternative sexuality. So let's meet one another and discover how I could help you. You can always find me at Kevin Allison. We'll be right back. Now here's the show. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Picky Picnic behind me now. And before that, we heard Jeff Barr doing an insane a cappella cover of the Risk theme song that, just like Picky Picnic, <laughs> sounded kind of effed up. And by the strangest coincidence, we're calling this week's episode up. But first, folks, don't forget that our live shows are coming up in L.A. on September 20th, New York, September 22nd, L.A. again on October 18th, and Reno, Nevada on November 11th. Tickets are always available at risk-show.com slash tour. Now, for getting effed up, <laughs> you know... When drugs and alcohol show up on the show, sometimes there's stories about these substances having a catastrophic effect on a person's life. But other times, there's stories wherein a person had a 
bizarrely surprising or hilarious experience or a significant moment of wonder. And today's stories are a little bit closer to that more benign side of the spectrum. So in a little bit, we're going to hear from Kurt Mullen. I'll tell you, one of the joys of having done this show for 13 years is seeing people who come around being fairly new to storytelling at first and then becoming super passionate about it and amazing at it, watching them get better and better at it. Kurt Mullen is definitely someone that comes to mind when I think about that. And now he coaches for the Stellar Story Company. But before that, a little radio anecdote from someone very near and dear to our hearts and our team, Hope Brush. Hope is a big part of the reason the show has been sounding so good lately. But before that, we're going to hear a story that was recorded not at a Risk Live show, but at one of our favorite shows very near to our home base in New York. That's the Artichoke Show in Beacon, New York. You can find them at artichokeshow.com. And this story comes from the hilarious Sean O'Brien, who you can find on Instagram at the SOB. And here's Sean now with a story we call... Who's we? I'm lucky enough to be a winner of the moth, but I'm also have the prestigious honor of scoring the lowest score in moth history. <laughs> 0.6. So I've won it and I've lost it. That's called range. If you're not familiar with the moth, it's a storytelling competition where everybody at the end sort of ends their story the same way where they have a revelation and they say, and then I realized I wasn't teaching those little kids. Those little kids were teaching me. It's exactly right. And then everybody in the audience, out of joy, throws up into their uh, moth tote bags. You know what I mean? I love stories. Beginning, middle, and end. Story arc. I love stories, too, man. I love stories. So, um, you ever hear somebody ever say, like, if I had a nickel for blah, 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 I'd have blah, blah, blah nickels, right? To be like mad dramatic. So if I had a nickel for every time that I was tricked into smoking embalming fluid, <laughs> I'd have two nickels. That's too many nickels. I don't even want those. You know what I mean? You have to think like, Sean, how have you been tricked into smoking a liquid twice? Easy. You buy your weed from a guy named Sleepy Keith. <laughs> Why is Keith so sleepy? He dips his weed in embalming fluid and thinks he's doing you a solid. Right, so for a very short period of my life, I tried being like, oh, maybe I'm gonna try and go like smoking weed. Like, I didn't smoke weed as a little kid. I didn't smoke weed as like an adolescent or, you know, a young adult. But for one time I was like, maybe that could be like a personality trait of mine. You know what I mean? Like, 
so one night I was in like a little dive bar in Manhattan and uh, I was just like, you know, I was feeling crazy. I was like, you know what? New Sean, new year, new me, whatever. There was this guy and he was like selling weed. His name was Sleepy Keith. At the time, I didn't know that this was like a tainted weed and I bought like a little joint from him. And I went outside this little dive bar, right? And uh, I took a little... And immediately it like tasted like metallic-y and like had like some sort of like chemical in it. And immediately I was like, oh no, I don't feel so good. And all of a sudden I like ran into the bar. I was like, oh my God, something's off. I run into the bar. I run into the bathroom. I lock the door behind me. I run up to the mirror. I'm like, mirror, Sean, help me. He's like, I can't, I can only go this far. So I was just like, fine. So I'm just like washing my face and like, I'm like trying to get like left from right. I'm like so messed up. Everything is spinning around me. I'm like Sleepy Keith, you know, E2 Brute. You know what I mean? Like Sleepy Keith, really, you know, E2 Sleepy Keith. And I'm like, oh boy. And like, I don't know what's going on. And I'm trying to get my bearings. I'm splashing water on my face. I'm like, oh boy, I just got to get out of this situation. Just jump in an Uber and whisk myself home, right? So I'm like, okay, I go back out. But things in the bar are dramatically different than when I left them. The lights are off, the gates are down, the music's off, and there's just a bartender, right? And she's counting money. And I never forget what she said to me. Because I said, hey, and she goes, ah! (laughs) And all of a sudden I was just like, how long have I been in there for? She goes, I don't know, four hours? I was like, whoa, me and Mira Sean can really gab. You know what I mean? Either that or I was taking a schnap. You guys know what a schnap is? Shit nap. I, I was just like, oh boy, I've been, you know, I've been schnapping all night. So I was just like, I gotta go home, right? So I whisked myself home and I was just like, oh my God, I'm never buying weed from Sleepy Keith again. You know what I mean? But if you remember from the beginning of the part of the story, I got that other nickel. So... One week later, shamelessly, one week later, I'm outside of the same dive bar and I have this same grandoso dream of being like this like cool weed smoking dude. And my, this guy, my buddy Mitch is standing outside. He's just like, I'm gonna smoke a weed. I'm like, yo, that's all I do now too. You know what I mean? Forgetting everything that just happened in the last week, right? So I'm like, all right, I like take a little puff. And I'm like, I'm like, who'd you get this from? And he's like, some dude named Keith. And oh no. And in literally the saddest deja vu ever, I ran back into the same bathroom. I'm like, Mira Sean. He's like, I'm disappointed. You know what I mean? Like he like turns his back on me. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I'm splashing water. I'm in the same exact situation that I was. And I was like, I cannot snap the night away. I have to just like, oh boy. I'm like trying to get my bearings again. I'm like, Sean, 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 Sean. So I like come out of the bathroom. I'm like, I'm not going to be sleeping in the bathroom all night again. So I come out of the bathroom and I like, remember like the old mother's adage, like of like starve a cold, feed a flu, drink off the embalming fluid. I was just like, oh, 
I'll just like drink a couple of beers. No problem. No problem. So like I go back up to the bar and I'm like trying to like weather the storm. Like if I just like have a couple of Bud Lights, I'll like, I'll feel fine or whatever. Right. So I like try and like take a sip of beer and I'm in a really bad spot. Like I guess from a third party point of view, like I'm really messed up. Right. So this like group of guys come over and they're just like, yo, are you okay? Blah, blah. And they sort of like take me under their arm and like we're hanging out and he's just like, it's okay. You'll be fine. Blah, blah. Like we're chit chatting with these guys and I sort of like push past it. Like I'm just like, okay, I think I feel okay. You know what I mean? Like we're having some beers. Now these guys are just like, yo, let's go to this other spot. We're gonna go like to this other bar down the street. I'm like, let's go. So now we're like bar hopping from bar to bar to bar with me and this new group of friends that I've never met in my life that just take me on. It's like entourage, but in bombing fluid. So just like bar hopping, boom, boom, boom. We're like taking shots, like, yo, my, yo, five shots, you know, five beers for me and my click. We're having a great time. We're like, we're like, we're just a bunch of wolves. We're howling at the moon outside. We're like doing that leapfrog thing, like over each other across the street. It's like a Benny Hill, like sped up. We're doing, you know, dizzy bats in the street, stuff like that. We're having a fucking great time. We go to this, like a nightclub and we get bottle service and the bottle service girl doesn't want to serve us. And I was like, yo, don't embarrass me in front of my friends. She's like, finally, like, gives us a bottle of vodka. So we're like partying the whole night, right? At one point, like, I'm like crying to this guy. I'm just like, dude, my fucking dad. You know what I mean? Like, my fucking dad's not around. So like that, like, he's like, it's fine. And so like, the night is like sort of winding down. We've had this like whirlwind night. And like, I don't want the night to end. So I'm like, yo, let's go. We go to this little pizzeria. And I'm like, yo, I go up to the pizzeria, like, little counter. I'm like, yo, I'm going to need one pizza from me and one pizza for the squad. You know what I mean? So, like, the guy in the pizzeria place is just like, fine. He just casually makes two pizzas. He gives us these two pizzas, right? And the pizzeria guy is just like, yo, you can't stay here. you got to, like, go. And I was like, no problem. I don't want the night to end, me and the click, right? I'm like, this is what we're doing. We're going to go back to my place and have a little pizza party, you know what I mean? So I fire up an Uber, right? We all pile into the Uber. I got the pizzas on my lap. We give like the aux cord to like the Uber driver. And I'm like, yo, play like Jack Jams volume one. You know what I mean? Like this is the rhythm of the night, 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 night. My life. So, <laughs> so like we're like dancing, we're having a good time. We're singing in this car. One of the dudes that's sitting next to me pisses his pants in the backseat. He's having such a good time. It is all over the back seat. I've never been more okay with somebody else pissing my pants. Like, my pants are soaked, too. I'm like, dude, whatever. We get back to my apartment. My studio apartment. My studio apartment, right? So we get inside, and I'm like, yo, my then-girlfriend, now-wife, is sleeping in the studio, right? And I'm like, boys, we got to be quiet, right? All right, because she's right over there, right? So we go inside, and I'm just like, we're going to have a little bit of pizza party. No big deal. She's a heavy sleeper. So, right? So we start, I go inside, right? And I start wheeling and dealing paper plates. Boom, 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 boom. And the whole time, like, boys, shh, shh, shh. You know, Marguerite, she's right over there. Shh, shh, shh. And as I'm, like, scolding the boys for being too loud, I indeed trip over a chair and fall on the ground right and now I make this huge bang and I'd say that my 
lady came into the room, but she was already in the room. You know what I mean? She just came over to the situation. And she goes, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, babe, I'm so sorry. We're so loud. She goes, who's we? And I look back, and it's just a bunch of paper plates with pizza on it. And she goes, did you piss your pants? And if you've ever seen a movie like The Sixth Sense or Fight Club, I start snapping back into the entire night. And I am indeed not with a group of people. I am telling a bottle service girl, don't embarrass me in front of my friends. <laughs> and leapfrogging nobody and crying and doing this whole thing. I was indeed by myself that night. And that very moment, I realized that those imaginary friends were not teaching me. That I was teaching those imaginary friends. Thank you guys so much. When I came to Spain and I saw people partying, I thought to myself, what the fuck? All day, all night, all day, all night, all night, all night. FIFA la fiesta, FIFA la noche. FIFA los DJ, what the fuck? FIFA la fiesta, FIFA la noche. FIFA los DJ, what the fuck? On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. A couple years ago, I was living in LA, working in the music industry and living in this small little apartment in the middle of the city and feeling a little burnt out creatively and just a little cooped up. Felt like I couldn't really work on any music in my apartment because I had neighbors. I was just getting, you know, a little bit sick of being there. So I decided I would look for an Airbnb outside of the city, take a bunch of music gear up there and just camp out for the weekend and make a bunch of music. So I found this really cool, huge cabin up in the mountains all by itself, and it was super affordable. So I decided, why not? I'll do it. I packed my car full of speakers and guitars and keyboards and all that, and I'm on my way up, and I decide I'm going to call my mom and tell her I'm turning off my phone for the weekend, so if you text me and you don't hear back, I promise everything's okay, and I'll talk to you on Monday. So as I get closer and closer to the area, everything just gets so much more beautiful. And even though it's dry and hot out because it's Southern California, everything is still so green. And I'm just so happy when I pull up to this cabin because it's sitting all by itself on this giant hill and there are no neighbors. And I know that I could just make loud music all weekend if I want. 
So I load all my stuff in and I find this really cool giant room on the second floor with these panoramic windows where you can see the whole valley around the house. It just overlooks all these trees and mountains and it's just beautiful. So I set all my stuff up in that room and finally get to sit down and start making music and I decide to have some acid that I brought with me. So I do that and I continue to work on some music and I start a song that I really like and I'm just having an amazing day. It's just so peaceful up there. A couple hours into it, I look out the window and my heart just stops. I see the whole valley just covered in this huge blanket of smoke that looks like it's from a forest fire. I just immediately start to panic. I can feel my heart racing in my chest. It doesn't help that it was right in the middle of fire season and there had been two huge fires in the news, so it was very much on my mind. I just feel so scared. I don't know what to do. I'm all alone. I'm in the middle of nowhere. So I just rush out to my car. I grab my keys. I don't even put on shoes. <laughs> That's how scared I was. I just run out to my car, get in, and then I just drive in the direction that I don't see smoke. And it doesn't help that my mental state is slightly altered, but I don't feel like I have a choice, so I do it. Once I start driving, I realize I don't really have any neighbors that I can go to for help. So I drive for maybe 10 minutes or so, and... Finally, I see this van pulled over on the side of the road and I realize there's an old man inside of it. So I pull over behind him and I get out and his windows roll down and I walk up to his car and I just look at him like with this terror on my face and I point up at the smoke and I'm like, should we be worried about this? Like, what do we do? And he just looks at me with this expression that I will never forget. And he's like, uh, that's just a cloud. <laughs> You know, I've always wondered what that man thought of me in that moment. Like, just this girl in the middle of nowhere with no shoes on and probably huge pupils just freaking out about a big cloud. But I like to think that I pulled myself together enough to try to act normal and laugh it off. Anyways, I get back in my car and I just try to compose myself for a sec and I start to drive back and start to feel a little bit of relief until I get back to the cabin and I go back into the room where I first saw the fire and I look out the window again and I'm, I'm not convinced. I know that he said that it's a cloud, but to me, it just looked so dangerous. It looked so ominous. And I just started thinking like, maybe he's wrong, you know, like he's not an expert. Maybe he thinks it's a cloud, but maybe it actually is a fire and I'm not going to be the one to die just because I listened to one old man on the side of the road. So I decide, you know what, I'm going to evacuate one more time just to be safe. So I get back in the car and I just drive for maybe 30 minutes before I reach like a store and it's like a gas station and I go in and I get snacks and I just sit in my car until the panic starts to fade away and I realize yeah that was definitely like definitely a cloud there was no like smell of smoke there was no like mad rush on the roads to get out of town you know it was it was a cloud for sure <laughs> So I get back to the house that night, and even though I know I'm not in any danger, I still feel so much adrenaline from the day. And I have to use an actual wood-burning stove to keep myself warm that weekend because the house is super old. So I'm just stoking the fire, trying to control my paranoia about burning the house down and starting a forest fire. And, you know, I've been thinking, 
Like, my mom might not be proud of me for making the decision to go into the middle of nowhere and do drugs by myself, but at least she will know that I will always put my safety first, especially when it comes to scary-looking clouds. So uh, it's the 1980s. I'm 14 years old and I'm on a Greyhound bus heading north up to Maine to see my brother Jay at his college. Heading up to Maine from Massachusetts, where I live with my parents, 14 years old. And what I want most in the world when I'm on this bus is for me and my older brother to be equals, to be friends. No more of this older brother, younger brother stuff. I want us to be on the same page. And hey, things are looking pretty good in that regard because, you know, he's invited me up to his college, not for one night or two nights, but for a whole week, my whole winter break. Now, I know part of that is because he knows I'm struggling. I mean, if you take all the bad things that a kid can do, like the lying, cheating, stealing, smoking, letting their grades slip, all that stuff, by the time I arrive at ninth grade, I got that in high gear. <laughs> and my parents, they can't believe a word that comes out of my mouth. And I can't really blame them. They also can't believe the relationship I have with my brother because they know him as the guy who can con me into buying boxing gloves so that when we get home, he can punch me right in the face. <laughs> He's the guy who leaves me cringing and writhing in the corner of the, the, the cellar because he wanted the hockey puck just a little bit more than I did. Or he's the guy when I'm like making friends for us outside, he's like, he doesn't care about friends. He's just kind of sneering at me and throwing live firecrackers at my head. <laughs> and you know, the worst of it for me is that's all like just a Saturday afternoon. But also, it's the ditching. You know, when he gets older, he starts ditching me for his friends, and he's ditching me for girlfriends. And I'm always wondering, like, that's the hardest thing for me to understand. Like, why doesn't he just ask me along? Well, you know what? Things are looking pretty good right now. Because my brother's, you know, undergoing some serious change. He's always been this really big jock. He's got these broad shoulders. He's tall. He barely has to lift weights to make muscle. But he's quit the football team in Maine. And he's looking, like, the times he actually calls back home and I get on the phone, he's, like, looking to fill in all that jockey space with 
other stuff. Like, I got to read more books. Like our conversations are, are getting totally upturned. I'd like to understand art a little bit better, he says to me. I'd like to understand me. I want to travel the world. I want to be a writer. It's a lot to show me all at once. And I don't, at age 14, really get my head around it. But it's my brother, and I know I'm going to hang on until I do understand it. And I also know, riding that bus up to Maine, that whatever my brother has going on right now, it's a lot bigger, that world, than what I've created in Massachusetts. And so with that, I barrel into his room, and I'm so happy to see him and meet his roommates. His roommates, you know, they're, they're already laughing through their hands because they, they know exactly what's going to happen, what's going to come out of his mouth, he says. You know, my girlfriend has her own place, and that's where I sleep. And when the keys land in my hand, the keys to his dorm, I know exactly what's going on. And he leaves. And I've gotten ditched again. And I'm looking out this window, and I'm like, why do I always fall for this shit? And I know my brother, I know I'm not going to see him very much this week. And I just kind of try to shrug it off. And I say, well, I might as well try to have a good time. And I learn about this party. And when the sun goes down, I show up there. And people are like, who is this 14-year-old kid who weighs 108 pounds asking for a keg cup? But that would be me. And there were several beers and people stopped looking at me funny. They're, they're asking me all kinds of questions. I'm like the center of a very special kind of attention. And after an hour or two, everybody's drinking beer. There are high fives and smiles. I'm making new friends. I'm trying to leave the place. You know, after a couple of hours, I got to go. And some guy grabs me by my skinny neck and he headbutts me. It's supposed to be like this animal house moment, but you know, I'm reeling backwards and I'm seeing stars and I'm thinking, geez, that really didn't feel very nice. <laughs> and I, I stumble out of the party and I make it back to my brother's dorm, okay? And he has like this corner suite, which means he has two rooms and one of the rooms is just the bedroom. And the other room is like the hangout room and has a couple couches in it. And that's where I'm supposed to sleep this week. Except, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I actually wake up in a bed, a really comfortable bed. And there's like feathers underneath me. And the comforter is got to be full of goose down. And it's really bright and, and white and it smells so fresh. And I look over the edge and I see I'm actually in an upper bunk. And I'm really loving where I am right now until I remember that I have no idea how I got here. <laughs> and my mouth has never been so dry. It feels like a lizard came in the room overnight and took a shit in it. <laughs> and you know, my head is aching. And, and the worst of it all, of all is I can't, I just have no idea what's just happened to me. And I say, like, I got to get out of here. I got to figure this out. And I, I take the blanket back and I see I'm actually, I'm actually not wearing any clothes. And I, and I cover up again and I'm just lying there. I'm, like, I'm just listening for footsteps and voices. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, who does this? I wound up in someone's room. It's definitely a woman's room. And I'm, you know, I'm just like naked. And, and like, but I have to go. I have to get over it. I, have to, I don't know what I'm going to do right now, but I can't lie in this bed all day. And so I, I take the comforter off again and I do my little twinkle toes one rung at a time. 
you know, with my little pig friend hanging out and I get down to the floor and I and I'm very lucky because the first thing I see is a is a white bathrobe and I put it on and I cinch the tie around and I'm just so happy to have some clothes on again. And as soon as I push my arms through the sleeves, I'm only 14, but I already have this really dark hair growing on my arm. And in the sleeves, I mean, this robe is definitely for a woman because it ends at the elbows. And I look like a bear in a terry cloth robe. And I, and I turn around and I see, actually, someone's been watching me the whole time in the bottom bunk. She's blonde and she's sitting up and she's not from around here, I can tell. As soon as she starts to talk to me, y'all, I don't know who you are, but when I got in last night, I tried to wake you up and you wouldn't budge. And y'all are so lucky my roommate didn't come in last night and see you sleeping in her bed because she would have broken your neck. And I've got these like waves of shame just hitting me in the head. I'm like storm-tossed with shame right now, but I'm going to listen. She's only getting started, and I'm going to listen to it because I'm polite. (laughs) And I have a couple of zits on my face. I have a metal chain around my neck. My hair still kind of has a feather to it. It's not the look the guys are going for on this preppy little campus. And I look young. I'm skinny. And she says, you're obviously too young to be going to college here. What are you even doing here? Like, is this what you do? Who are you even here with? Who are you? I said, I'm here with John Mullen. I call him Jay. He's my brother. She has no idea who he is. I said, what about his roommates? Todd and Scott. And when I say those two names, she has this pretty face, but it just like turns into this wizened crab apple. Goes, ooh, ooh. I don't know what that means. But I say, can you tell me how to get back to their room? And she said, they live right under this room. They're on the second floor. You missed it by a floor, buddy. I said, I'm, I'm sorry this happened. I'm going to be on my way. And she says, wait a minute. Y'all, you can't be going off with my roommate's robe. And I turn around. I say, you know, your roommate's robe, I, I know. But like, underneath your roommate's robe right now, I'm not wearing any clothes. And she says, what happened to your clothes? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and when I say that, she just smiles a little bit. And I leave, and I go down to my brother's room, and I swear to you, in this little college campus, this story about this 14-year-old, 108-pound geek, drinking too much and whining, it's tearing through the campus. And by the time my brother comes home a couple hours later, he's heard it three different times. (laughs) And I don't know how it lands on him because he doesn't say shit. And he just gives me this little half smile that he's been doing since we were little kids. And I still don't know what that means. And my brother, like I said, he might be the biggest person on this campus. But to me, he's turning into like this meerkat. I'm like, which hole did he just go down? Because all of a sudden he disappears and he's gone and I don't see him. And a couple of days later, you know, I'm not going to tell you 
that this story turns me into a, a legend, but people definitely know who I am. <laughs> they definitely know my name and they want to talk about what happened. And there are a couple of guys in this building who were like, hey, Kurt Mullen, you want to have some beers? I'm like, yeah. And so we have some beers. And then after that, I do this other thing that I can't do when I'm at home because the town I'm from in Massachusetts is just a little too rural for pizza delivery. I pick up the phone and I order a pizza to be delivered to this dorm. And I go downstairs and I stand at the door and I'm just looking out the window, like the glass on the door at this wintry scene in Maine. And it's all kind of soft, you know? And when people walk by and they're talking and laughing, it sounds like I'm, I'm listening to it from underwater. There were several beers. And they're, they're just softening the world for me. Until I hear this voice behind me. What are you doing? It's my brother. What's he doing here? I didn't know he was looking for me. How many beers have you had today? Well, I'm sober enough to know that this isn't going to go well. Because if there's one thing my brother likes to do with me, it's to lecture me. And so I collect my large pepperoni and we go up to his room. And there's not a lot of togetherness between the brothers, you know, for the last couple of days of my stay. And two days later, he takes me down to the bus stop and he drops me off. And I get on the Greyhound. And as it's rolling away, I find him. He's like 19, almost 20. He looks great. And he's standing there with a friend of his, and he's not looking at the bus. He's looking away, and they're both laughing at something. And I uh, just feel this, this sort of ache about the whole thing. Because Jay and I, I don't think I've said my brother's name. Jay and I, we've just spent a whole week together, but we really didn't spend it together. And as I'm watching him, I'm wondering, like, when are we ever going to get that chance again? Well, I go home, I go back to school. I'm a freshman, I'm struggling. And three days later, I walk through my kitchen, there's a letter on the table, it's for me. And my brother, he uses the same alphabet as you and me, but he can make the words look so angry. My name and address, I pick it up, and I go up to my room, and I open it. It's the first letter he's ever written me. And the tone of it, it's not anger. It's more concern. You know, he says, I've noticed that you really aren't interested in anything anymore. And until you find something to get excited about, look, we're two guys. We're two brothers. We should have things to talk about. I don't know what to talk about with you. And until you find that thing, look, at least start reading the books that I care about, because then we can talk about those. And I fold the letter up and I put it back in the envelope and I think, I'm not doing that. Because I don't, I don't read. <laughs> At all. Three days later, I'm still thinking about my brother and I'm thinking about that letter. And I'm into music a little bit. And it's before the internet, but there's this book. I call up the Harvard Coop and I order it. It's about the drummer for The Who, Keith Moon. And on a Saturday, I, I take the train in to get it. And I, I tear through this copy of Full Moon. And immediately I call my brother. He gets on the payphone in the hallway of his dorm. And I say, you know, I just read a book for the fun of it for the first time because of you. 
And I said, it's not even a good book. <laughs> it's not Faulkner, Joyce, and Hemingway. It's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And it's not even written by a real writer. <laughs> it's written by this uh, English thug who was a roadie for The Who. And um, you need, like, a glossary to get through it because the shit that comes out of this guy's mouth, it's all, like, slang, like Cockney, you know? And he's laughing, my brother, and I'm laughing. And it's, it's like it really is. It's like we're friends. It's a great phone call. And as we get into our 20s and 30s, there are so many more phone calls and we're both readers. And, you know, if there's ever a lull in the conversation, there's always this, this connection, this point of connection. Hey, what are you, what are you reading? Anything good? And into his late 30s, my brother gets into outdoor sports and he's, and he's into whitewater kayaking and he goes out in a river one day and he has this accident and he's killed. And it's devastating. And it might be true what they say, that a day doesn't go by when, you, when you're not thinking about that person. And when I think about my brother, my thoughts can go in so many different directions because, well, he was such a big part of my life. I noticed that I really like to think about that letter and think about him, 19 years old, going back from that bus stop, sitting at his desk and thinking, you know what? He had the same concern, you know, that I did. He's thinking, we're two guys moving through life and we have nothing to talk about. We're two brothers. We could get through life without really getting to know each other. And he sat down at his desk and he wrote this letter because he wanted to do something about it. Thank you.
that is almost all of this week's episode, folks. This is Lockinville behind me now. And we just heard from Kurt Mullen. You can find him at kurtmullen.com. And he coaches for the Stellar Story Company, an amazing group of storytellers and teachers at stellarstory.com. And before that, our own audio editor, Hope Brush. With an anecdote she recorded for the show, you can find Hope at hope-brush.com. We also heard a song by Sock Noel, and we just heard an interstitial by our editor, Taj Easton, who you can find at tajeaston.com. We'll be right back. We're back. Folks, this week's Patreon bonus story is a remarkable one by Liz Griffiths about how she played a prank on some folks, but the person she surprised the most was herself. I'm in the driver's seat and I lay my seat all the way back and just start hysterically laughing. I'm just unwieldingly hysterically laughing and I can't. Because I didn't think it was going to work. Like, I didn't think I'd get that far. You know what I mean? But I did. I got that far. And I'm just like, okay, well, (laughs) we're here now. (laughs) There are well over 150 bonus stories at patreon.com slash risk, as well as dozens of check-ins and conversations with storytellers and risk staff members. We couldn't keep risk running without the support of our listeners. So please, if you can, become a member like our newest Patreon members, NB, Alan Gluck, and Leslie Benedict. Thanks so much to you three. And any of you folks who have been members for a while, if you can manage it, increase your donation over at patreon.com slash risk. And if you want to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. Everything else you might need to know is at risk-show.com and all of our socials are at risk show. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. I got the sun in my pocket and the moon in my hands. I throw it up amongst the stars and watch it move in a dance. Sometimes I stop and play it over Some weed has embalming fluid in it. I'm really messed up. I'm not going to be sleeping in the bathroom all night again. 
So this like group of guys come over. Yo, are you okay? Take me under their arm. We're like bar hopping. Yo, five shots, five beers for me and my click. Babe, I'm so sorry. We're so loud. Who's we? We're just a bunch of wolves. We're howling at the moon outside. We've had this like whirlwind night. Did you piss your pants? Don't embarrass me in front of my friends. Yo, I'm gonna need one pizza from me and one pizza for the squad. Yo, you can't stay here. You gotta like go. This is what we're doing. We're gonna go back to my place and have a little pizza party. So I fire up an Uber. We all pile into the Uber. Y'all play like Jack Jams Volume 1. We get back to my apartment. Boys, we gotta be quiet. My girlfriend is sleeping. We're gonna have a little bit of pizza party. No big deal. She's a heavy sleeper. And I start wheeling and dealing paper plates. Boom, 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 boom. Boys, shh, shh, shh. What the fuck are you doing? And that very moment, I realized that those imaginary friends were not teaching me. I was teaching those imaginary friends. 